Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you truly believe that, that I'm praying for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. I am Mike Leon. Apparently not following the rules of Leon Media Network in purchasing nope. books and other materials on behalf of our guests. Nope. I am Nick Saveri. Nope. We're going to get into that in a second. Nick Saveri circumventing the rules and etiquette of how to get books and approve for things. Uh, we'll get we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. Um, in the program today, Nick, on the program today, excuse me, it's Midterm Madness. Nick, you know, we've been covering all the different debates that have been happening across different states. Voting is underway now. Mail-in ballots are being sent in in a bunch of different states. Nick and I will continue to spotlight some of the debates that have been happening across the country. We'll look at a few debates that happened in Florida and Georgia. Marco Rubio, Val Demings, Marjorie Taylor Greene loses her rocker against Marcus Flores. Um, plus, speaking of voting and a key demographic that's going to impact this midterm election, the Latino vote, something near and dear to my heart. In the second segment, I sat down with Dr. Xavier Perez of DePaul University. We discussed a bunch of different issues playing out in the Latino community, everything that's happening with migrants and the way they're being used by the governors of Florida and Texas as pawns. Uh, we discussed the way Latinos are uh, portrayed in media, some of the messaging that's been around defund the police. So Dr. Xavier Perez of DePaul University in our second segment. First, I say hello to my cohort who of 20, 26 years, Nick, 26 years, dude. I found a picture of us in 99 on in my Livingston College yearbook the other day. And I was like, God damn, I've known Nick for a really long time. People are going to listen to this, say, yeah, we already knew you were old. Uh, how you doing, buddy? Now, I know you're ready for D.C. People don't want to hear about D.C. We keep giving them the D.C. D.C. 
what else is going on over there in, in this very household? It's funny. I think the oldest picture I have of you might be of the, you know, when we were in, um, you know, we saw the uh, the Raiders Bucks Super Bowl in 2002. There's a picture of us. Right. Um, I forgot Crying. who won. We were exactly. Well, this was before <laughs> because we had our annual, uh, like we would play like a touch, you know, football game beforehand back then. Uh, so some of us were holding trophies. Some of us were just kind of hanging out. Yeah, we we had no idea what was going to un, you know, unravel later that day. But um, yeah, no, exactly. Now, not worrying about the trip next week right now is actually uh, just enjoying time at home. My little one is not feeling so great, you know, not COVID positive, uh, just getting her case of the sniffles. One of the first times, actually. So we're you know, just kind of cuddling up with the little one, you know, taking care of her. And that's really it. You know, one thing I wanted to mention real quick before we get into our first segment is <clears throat> I keep seeing Kanye West everywhere. And I'm starting to lose my rocker. I wanted to mention this just real quick. This is before we get into our first segment. Um, Chris Cuomo, who is now on News Nation, the former CNN anchor who obviously you know, got let go because of improper relationship that he had in terms of getting information from his brother, who was the governor, right? So now he's on News Nation. And last night he had Kanye West on. I'm not going to play the clips here. Um, and there was a discussion as well on the Lebitard podcast. They did not have Kanye West on. But there was a discussion that I heard that kind of centered around having folks on programs and giving them platforms, right? And the argument was kind of like, the way you do it is you have them on, you bring logic and reasoning into it. And that way it will look like, oh, wow, that person doesn't know what they're talking about at all. If you give them sound logic, reasoning, facts, et cetera, as long as they accept the facts, right? So the argument that one of the guys was making, uh, Amin Al-Hassan, he's a former Phoenix Sun executive, he was saying that it's similar to somebody walking into a church presenting an argument around atheism. And the argument then would be to the patricianers of, of the church, uh, a parishioner, excuse me, of the church, they would be like, oh, wow, that person's making sense. Here's my problem, though, with that argument. It's not comparable because people that go to church don't necessarily believe that God is real. I mean, they have a belief, right? It's a belief. It's not a fact that God, it's a belief. They all have that premise that it's a belief, right? It's not. So you're coming there saying God's not real. You don't know that. Well, just like they don't know that it, whether or not he is, it's just a belief system. That's what religions are. They're belief systems, right? My argument is not to use this analogy anymore, but my argument is you can't have an argument with somebody who's disingenuous, somebody who doesn't believe in what they're spewing. You've made the equation to professional wrestling. It is in a way professional wrestling. And my argument is Kanye West knows what he's doing. He's being disingenuous. And Candace Owens as well. I've told you before. I know people that work have worked for her. I worked at Fox. I told you Sean Hannity's not like this. He's not. Is he conservative? Yes, but he doesn't believe in some of this stuff. But the graphics are preloaded. He can't come out. So like, that's my argument. Why would you continue to give somebody a platform who knows what they're saying is disingenuous, but there's money in it. I, I, I've been seeing this all the time. And people, should we give them a platform? Should we not let them live in their silos over there? It's at least contained to over there. And it's contained to those type of networks and outlets. I, I've, I've always felt like that. I know you wanted to chime in here on this because I just, I don't want to keep talking about Kanye West, but he's popping up everywhere. And, and now the, art, the, uh, the conversation is really around, should we continue to give these folks platforms? Because if you don't, their argument is we're being censored as they go on yet another podcast, as they go on yet another outlet. So how could they be being censored? So anyway, I want, I just wanted to say that because it was so frustrating to see 
Chris Cuomo dive into the Kanye West muck? Yeah, at the risk of you know <laughs> bringing back, um, who we we may have to get him on this show, Professor William Solomon at Rutgers. I don't even know if he's still teaching there, but yeah, um, but yeah, I always think about Professor Solomon's class about this idea of the profit motive. You know, in news television. Now, I don't know. I don't I haven't watched any of Chris Cuomo's new show. I don't know much of the network that he's now a part of. Uh, but, you know, but a lot of people have started to bring Kanye back on and he's basically doing a car wash. And I think we all know this is, the, I guess, the important part is you have to know what to expect here. Right. But the thing is, there's two components to this. One is, OK, you understand what you've just done is just try to get a ratings boom. Right. I imagine this is the conversation Chris has with his producers. You know, we get Kanye immediately. There's a following, right. which is a whole other conversation of why people are still, you know, fans and followers of his of Kanye's stuff at this point. But that's not here. Um, the other side to this, too, is what is the nature of this conversation? Is this actually a conversation or is this really handing your platform over to someone? Because if that's really what's happening, then that's a really risky proposition because you are in- inherently giving over your platform to someone who has been extremely misinformed uh, and has really been reckless with his statements. And it's been proven over and over again that he's not really bringing any substance to these programs, but it's really his fame that drives this discussion. And then you have to ask yourself, does this show, does this maintain integrity to what you want to do? Like if you are simply like, let's use Noriega's show, for example, right? You know, uh, yeah, drunk classics or whatever. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's uh, uh drink masters or I forget the name of it. Anyway. It's so old. I, I listen drink champs, drink champs. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> I listen to it all the time. Right. <laughs> Folks, that was what you just saw was an example of if Mike and I were on like the $64,000 pyramid, right? Or right. password or some other old game show that anyway. So, but in that program, we get it. Like you want to bring this guy on here, you're going to have the show that you want to have. And that's fine. Like that's what you want to do. That's okay. You know, to the folks that say, well, don't give this guy a platform. I don't know how I feel about it. I know for the, I know for the sake of this program, we wouldn't because we're not going to have an intelligent conversation because the moment it starts to stray in a place of you're just going to spew your nonsense and not take questions or be combative about it and not come back with fact, that's when Mike's going to kick you off the show. But we're never going to get to that place. And that's, you know, full disclosure to the audience, it's a conversation that Mike and I have all the time. You know, the we time. know what we're all, we know what we want to be. We know who we are. And we understand that the road that that means for us is it's a long one, you know, in terms of going from where we are to being at a place where you, know, you got money coming out of our ears, right? And that's not the trajectory we want. Yes, we'd love this to be profitable enough that we have money literally coming out of our ears. But where's our soul in this as journalism, as folks in journalism, right? You know, what, what is our integrity? What integrity do we want to have? And to anyone that hands their platform over to Kanye, then it's simply just telling me what you're all about. It's a values question, really. Right. And, and I'm not good or bad with it. I just understand what it is. So for someone like Chris Cuomo to give that platform to Kanye West, and I know it's not going to be an intelligent conversation because at some point, Kanye is going to spew some crazy stuff as he always does. And let's go back to intent, because you said this a moment ago, you know, that he, does he know what he's talking about? And the answer is yes. It's no different than Donald Trump. You can say the misinformed stuff, bring the fame that you have with this. And the people who believe in your nonsense anyway are going to continue to believe it. And to those who don't, they're just going to be irritated enough that they want to watch your show anyway. It's that it's that statistic that, um, you know, we see in that movie in private parts, you know, the Howard Stern biography, um, you know, people who don't like Stern 
you know, will listen more <laughs> than the people who did. And that's what that is. It's just a numbers game. And at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, is that what you're all about? And if you're pot committed to this, as Mike has alluded to in the past, then that's the deal you've made. Um, but what we have to be really clear on is there's nothing to gain here. You are simply handing over your platform to someone who's misinformed and who's reckless with their information, possessing a level of fame that they could be using you know, for societal good. But instead, they're just really feeding their ego, right. especially associated with someone with Candace Owens, who, Mike, as you've alluded to, maliciously twists the truth in order to boost a platform and arguably a premise that's soaked in white supremacy that is just alarming and you know, people in her camp and people who are not fans of her understand really the game that she's playing, which is a reckless one. And it's contributing to what we've seen in the form of MAGA. So, so look, let yeah. me let me chime in real quick. I mean, I, I'm with you before we get into our first segment. I'm with you on everything you just said. Um, it's 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 really about what we want as the trajectory of this show and what I want to do content wise. I'll give you two examples first off, and he's, he's going to be in the first segment that we play here. But Senator Marco Rubio, I've had an opportunity to interview him for this docu-series that we're shooting. I don't want to do that. I said specifically, not because he's Republican, but because there are certain things that Senator Rubio has said that are factually wrong. He has said certain things about mail, mail-in ballot boxes, certain things about you know January 6th. I, I don't want to interview him just because he happens to be somebody that's Cuban American and happens to, you know, at least shape the Latino vote here in Miami, Florida. I don't, I don't want to interview him. I don't want to do that because confrontational interviews is not what I want to do. If you've noticed, we haven't had any, you and I have had a chance to, uh, we've been reached out by some booking agents to have a few different guests. If you remember, there was that person that has a huge following in education in, in Utah. And we said no to that person because once you start going down the rabbit hole, it's not about Again, this has nothing to do with Republican, conservative, Democrat, progressive. It has nothing to do with that, nor does it have anything to do on the, on the channels. I'm telling you, I used to produce some of this stuff. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with right, wrong. The folks that are doing it over there are doing it for the monetary gain. Currently, right now, Nick and I are not doing it for the monetary gain. We have some monetary gains coming in, but not to the level that these networks are doing it. So we can be a little bit more selective because we have day jobs associated with that. We could rename this podcast to Brown Guys Love America podcast. We've said it before, but then it could mean Nick and I losing our jobs. And it could also mean that, you know, we, we make money out the wazoo, but neither Nick and I feel like that. I, I want to get back to right, wrong. I want to get back to expert opinions. We talk to people who know what they're talking about. That's what Nick said one day on one of the episodes. I forget where it was. I, don't, I forget what the clip is, Nick, but I, it, it has stuck and it is the tagline for the show. It's truly what I believe in. At an LMN, I want to do stuff with people that are genuine, not disingenuous. And especially if I know you're disingenuous, if I know people that work in your orbit, in your circle, and that's my big issue with the folks that listen to Tucker or, and again, Hannity's a little bit lesser than Tucker, but very less, but like the people that listen to that universe and don't know any, they're, they're dick from their elbow. Excuse the expression. You've never worked with any of these people. I have. I've have like, I'm just, it's not a, it's not a flex. It's not a, anything like that. It's like, I've worked there. You have it. You haven't slopped a shit. I have. So I'm telling you, they don't feel this certain way. And so that frustrates me, but what more frustrates me now, like you said, the car wash, which is an ESPN um, term there where people just go through the ringer of a bunch of shows that air on the network. Kanye's doing that now and he's just getting fed on platforms and the views are going up and stuff like that. And that's all money in people's pockets. 
I don't want to do that. Not that we ever have a chance to interview Kanye West, but I don't want to do that. We leave it there, Nick, because I want to move into our first segment. Uh, some of the races that are happening, Nick, uh, obviously we talked about some that have been happening in different states. Uh, you got what's happening in Ohio with J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. We covered that one. We're going to shift our attention now to my state, Florida, because there's a lot of key races happening in Florida. Governor DeSantis and Charlie Crist are, are squaring off, uh, obviously, in the governor's race here. But a big race that's happening for Senator Val Demings against Marco Rubio. I want to play some of the exchanges that happened during the debate between Rubio and Val Demings. If you didn't check this out, take a listen to this. She's been in Congress for over half a decade. She's never passed a bill, not PPP, not anything, not a single bill she's passed has ever become law. I'm proud of the fact we saved millions of jobs. I'm proud of the fact we did it in a bipartisan way. That's not true. I know the senator, look, and and I'm really disappointed in you, Marco Rubio, because I I think there was a time when you did not lie in order to win. I don't know what happened to you. You know that is not true. My first term in this in the United States House, I passed legislation to help law enforcement officers with mental health programs. Your first term in the Senate, you voted to turn Medicare into basically to abolish it and then turn it into an underfunded voucher. Of course, the senator who has never run anything at all but his mouth would know nothing about helping people and being there for people when they are in trouble. No one planned the pandemic, but our response to it is everything. Individuals were hurting, families were hurting, businesses were hurting. We passed the CARES Act, which the senator supported. There were some problems in the CARES Act with the Paycheck Protection Program that you love to take credit for. Some say it was poorly written. Some say it didn't help the people that it was supposed to, didn't save the jobs that it was supposed to. There was a way to fix the problems in the PPP through the American Rescue Plan and help people that were in trouble. But you played politics, Senator. That's a method of voting that doesn't advantage one group or another. There's danger involved in drop boxes. People need to think about it. Okay, imagine someone decides, oh, there's a drop box. I'm just going to put some explosive in it and blow it up and burn all of those ballots, and now those votes don't count at all. Okay, there is, there is something. With elections, there are two things that are very important. Number one, the count has to be accurate. The votes have to be counted accurately. But the other is there has to be public confidence. See, this is what I was talking about. That, that's exactly, a clip like that is exactly what I was talking about. When people are asking why aren't you giving both sides? What am I giving both sides to? This guy just mentioned an example of ballot boxes being destroyed with explosives, which has not happened in recent memory. And then he talks about election integrity. When again, there has been no widespread voter fraud that has been found by the Department of Justice at a federal level or any state in the union mild cases, maybe one or two instances in Pennsylvania. There was one in Virginia. If you remember, Glenn Youngkin's son tried to vote when he was 17 years old, not of age. There's no widespread voter fraud. So like this living in this, no, I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican. You won't do it. No, no, no. It's right, wrong. You're missing it right there. Uh, I can't really go into detail about Val Demings and some of the policy measures that she talked about in terms of her voting record. But I will say, again, Senator Rubio's point about ballot boxes is just off the rocker. And it's just what we're talking about now, the disingenuousness of, of, of people that are in these positions. And we're going to talk about another one. Speaking of disingenuous, Marjorie Taylor Greene and her race with Marcus Flowers out there in Georgia. Um, give me some of your takeaways about what's happening in, in Florida with this Senate race. 
This is a little bit close right now. The Rubio, according to 538 projections, is about four percentage points up. Obviously, we know how many seats in the Senate need to be flipped uh, for Democrats to have control. According to Real Clear Politics, uh, 538, there's projections that we'll probably have split government again, right? Where either Republicans take back the House and Democrats keep control of the Senate, which will mean what? Legislation will be blocked. But this is a key race because what's happening in Florida here, somehow Rubio is continuing to, well, not somehow, I know how, I'm Cuban. Uh, Marco Rubio continues to have a stronghold here in the state as a senator, Val Demings is probably the best challenger so far. Give me some of your takeaways on not only the debate, but the race overall. Yeah, actually, that's that's news for me. I mean, I've been looking at a uh, race to the WH dot uh, org um, and they're, you know, their polling had or at least their projection had very heavily favored Rubio. So, you know, I pr- it, it's glad to know, you know, Demings chances continue to get closer. And as we're seeing so many early votes happening all over the country like that, that could potentially vote well. Um you know, I, w- I was a little sad as I hear it because, you know, really the numbers up until now have not been favorable that, you know, everything you heard in that clip. And if you've heard the entire debate, Val Demings is a very qualified candidate and she is someone who passionately would, you know, fight for the people of her state. Um, Marco Rubio has not. You know, this is a person who in the 2016 primaries um, was you know, vocally opposing the uh, opposing Trump until he stopped. Um, he was someone that, and again, I'm obviously a Democrat, but you know, he was someone that I thought, again, this is me being naive. I thought in 2016 could be a viable candidate for the Republicans, but he he was a turtle. He just kind of retreated to his shell and disappeared. Um, and then, as since that, like many Republicans, basically just given everything over his power, his enthusiasm, everything over to Trump. And this is a person who was not at all respectful for him and didn't take him at all seriously. Um, So there's nothing really there's nothing really genuine about Marco Rubio. But, you know, the fact that he carries so much weight in Florida is, you know, is sad. And Mike, I know something you and I talked about with Sabrina, I think, or or someone way back when about how Rubio had previously to the White House or at least within Congress, you know, had been the voice a Cuban voice talking about Venezuela and Central American affairs, South American affairs, too, of, of talking about these communist regimes and basically really stoking a lot of fear against leftist based uh, governments, um, but not doing it from a place of information, but really just stoking you know these flames and saying, listen, you know, I'm, I'm a Latino you know, member of Congress. I know what I'm talking about, allegedly. Um, and again, not as not as a Latino, but there's something really especially insidious about trying to leverage you know, your race, your ethnicity as a way of saying, well, I'm knowledgeable of this, of which you are not, to, to play into the fears of people who've left you know, these, uh, the, you know, these regimes you know, to, come to, to come to the United States. And it's always, it, it was just a pernicious thing, and I'm running <laughs> synonyms to describe you know, how just evil I think some of you know, Rubio's tactics are. And it just saddens me because you know, one clip that you didn't play was you know, Demings had talked about gun violence. You know, and had mentioned, you know, these horrific things that we've seen happen you know, because right. of guns in this country, you know, and point to the fact that Rubio has done nothing. You know, this is a person who, and I remember after Parkland, you know, Rubio had come, you know, to talk to, um, you know, victims or had appeared at a town hall, and his answers were just embarrassingly flat of the inability to challenge the NRA and to challenge, you know, why we have access to assault rifles in this co- in this country. And he's been wildly inconsistent, not even inconsistent. He's just wrong about that. So, 
Yeah, it just saddens me because I think she's a much better candidate. And I mean, Democrat, Republican off the table for a minute, just to listen to these two people and look at their respective track records. One is definitely qualified and seems to be a person of integrity. And the other one's not. And sadly, the one the one who is not is still very likely projected to win. Right. And it's something we actually talked about with another guest. Uh, I forget on what episode, but how close these races have been, uh, especially you look at like the Warnock and Herschel Walker race depending upon what polls you look at, it's still within like five, six, maybe four to five, six percentage points, depending upon where you look at, what site you look at. And that's alarming given forget again, forget about RD. I'm just talking about debates and listening to the two talk about policies, right? And what you get from one in terms of actual policy measures that have been done by the Biden administration, et cetera. And then one just kind of, you know, saying word salad. Um, Let's shift. Speaking of Georgia, let's shift over to another race that's going to be maybe highly contested. Who knows? Uh, if you look at late, latest polling, uh, it may not be. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, see, there's a lot of seats up uh, in the House of Representatives, 35 Senate seats, like I mentioned last time. But her opponent, Marcus Flowers, are facing off for Georgia's 14th congressional district seat. They had a debate recently. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is spending a lot of money on campaign ads as she's heading into the campaign season. About $2.6 million has been contributed to her campaign to get her reelected, whereas Democrats have spent close to about about a million and a half uh, in terms of FEC filings for Marcus Flowers and trying to flip that seat. Take a listen to a little bit of their exchange on the debate. And it was kind of like the same stuff, right? Hammering home, hey, you won't accept common facts. Who's the president of the United States? Was he duly elected? Things like that. It played out in exchange between Flowers and MTG. Take a listen to this. Lying about me and you will not defame my character in that manner. Did Joe Biden win the election, Congresswoman Green? Joe Biden is the president of the United States. Absolutely. Marcus. But you pushed a big lie that said he did not win the election. There was and election fraud. you drove those proven. people to the Capitol fraud. on January 6th with your lie. We're going to move on. Josh Rowe, it's election your turn fraud. to ask and my question has Marjorie proof of it. Taylor Green. We have okay. FOIA evidence, a proof of election fraud that came out. Democrat Party is the party of child abuse. It's the party that represents grooming children and sexualizing them in school, teaching anti-white racism in the terms of CRT education and genital mutilation of kids, kids that can't even get a driver's license, can't get a tattoo and cannot vote. If you truly believe that, that I'm praying for you, you know, I believe in this country. I believe in our democracy and I believe in standing up for human rights. People come up to me every day and tell me how they feel attacked by you. And yes, I'm talking about children in our LGBTQ plus community every day, Congresswoman Green. Boy, listening to that, I'm going to let you go in a second. But, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff, this is. <laughs> well, I'm running out of stuff to say, folks. I mean, if, if you listen to that, hold on, if you listen to that stuff and, and you're sitting there going, yep, you're right. They're into mutilating. They're into grooming. I mean, this is all conspiracy theory stuff that is found down the rabbit holes of whatever search engines, whether it's 4chan, 8chan, there may be people listening to this going, I don't have no idea what those are. You can find out about them. Reddit, submessage boards. I mean, that kind of stuff lives there, festers there. And now we're seeing it in the human life form of this woman out of Georgia who is spouting conspiracy theories. She's been lambasted by mainstream media, if you want to call it, other podcasts, radio shows. And somehow we're going to cover this in our DC show because she's going to be a topic for our DC audience. 
and journalism, the state of journalism. We have some, a bunch of prominent folks from different outlets. Why are we continuing to give attention to this? Now, the conflict is she's running and is already a sitting member of Congress and she's running for reelection. We have to cover her. So the question I will have for the journalist is, to what extent? Because there's an unchecked debate and the moderator obviously has to be impartial, can't say anything, just got to ask the questions and let them pontificate. And now you're getting that kind of response, which is totally unproven, not true, factually based, not true. You're going to get into the principles of CRT and education part of it. But like, there's no factual data of actual Democrats grooming kids. There's no factual data behind any of that. And there's other statistical things that she pointed to in terms of opioid deaths and fentanyl, which again is not true based on CDC statistics. But I'm having trouble with these debates, man, because it's like, again, this is not RD. This is not R&D, man. This is fact fiction. One side saying, this is your voting record on this, and this is what I voted on. The other side saying, mail, ba- mail ballot boxes will blow up and Democrats are grooming kids. Like, Somebody posted something on Twitter earlier today, and I think I sent it to you, where it was like, imagine like the, the party of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Tucker Carlson, uh, XYZ, and your answer is like, oh, here it is. Imagine seeing Donald Trump, Kanye West, Tucker Carlson, Tulsi Gabbard, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Marjorie Taylor Greene all on the same side, and you go, yeah, that's where I want to be. Like, it's it's true. I, I mean, Nick, I'm at a loss for words. Uh, I'm going to give you five minutes uninterrupted here, sir. Uh, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene, what you just heard in that debate, let's debunk some of this stuff, especially from the education standpoint of this. But what do you what do you make of her race, the money that has poured in? Do you even think there's a chance of flipping the seat? I don't think there is. And which is crazy to me after hearing those sound bites. Uh, give me some of your takeaways on that race. Well, if you're willing to vote for her, you deserve what you get, which is someone who is not a serious politician who um has no knowledge of policy who is simply there to you know bemoan i don't even know if i would say conservative but i would say bigoted um stances so that's that's your people like if that's what you want to put in congress congratulations like you're putting up a buffoon who you know basically is spouting off really hateful rhetoric that as a voter if you do you know you know click on her name you know on november 8th is very telling about you as a person yourself. Um, you know, with regards to critical race theory, again, not discussed in a K-12 setting. It's not in any curriculum. Um, you know, to say it's anti-white is telling on yourself a little bit. Um, hey, real quick, real quick. I just thought of something. You work with so many different school districts nationwide. Um, how much curriculum focused stuff are you guys working on with the schools? And you know, the argument will be, yeah, critical race may not be as it's named taught in a K to 12 setting, but there are certain parts of it that are taught in terms of like racial constructs and like looking at race and how it plays out. And I, again, I forget where in the K to 12 setting the argument is made, but give me some of your takeaways on specificities there of like critical race theory is not taught. Yes. Overall CRT is not taught in a K to 12 setting. There's no class called critical race theory anywhere in a K to 12 setting. You'll get more of that in the college level, but like, give me some of your takeaways on like curriculum when you see that, uh, when you're talking to school districts or school leaders. Yeah. I mean, I just recently have been working with, I mean, these are, you know, Catholic schools in, in the state of Arkansas, but you know, they have their own curriculum, which is aligned to the you know curriculum of the state. Yeah, but that's really talking about learning standards, you know, for reading and mathematics. It's not talking about 
you know, what conversations about race you're having in your classroom or, or um, about, you know, LGBT, LGBTQ plus, right? Like it, that's not coming up. Um, so that's really what she's doing is just fomenting just hatred. I'm also familiar with the standards of the New York City Department of Education, you know, one of the largest school districts in the country. And same thing, you know, the presence of race may come up in the form of, of racial tolerance, <laughs> of talking about the role that race has played, but it's not getting into a place of talking of, first off, it's not anti-white. That, that's, that's a really disturbing way to frame it, you know, to say that you know, we're going to re-examine you know, what the role of race in America is, which clearly played a role. I mean, that's why slavery exists in the first place. It's why you know, we've had economic factors play out the way they do. It's literally why voting you know, had to be put through you know, the Civil Rights Act, right? Like these all happened. Having the conversation why they happened is okay. But you asked about curriculum. No, it's not there. You know, there's no curriculum in this country telling you that we are going to put forward a message that's anti-white. If your interpretation of that as a white person is this feels, you know, in opposition to me, then we need to have a conversation about what you think your role is in all this. Like, what do you think is the presence of whiteness in this country? And that's a whole conversation I'm willing to have with anyone, regardless of, of race. Um, because in that respect, it's a construct. But again, not going to get into it here. No. But yeah, no, you asked about the, the presence of it in curriculum. It doesn't exist. Right. So this is something that Republicans like to pawn off. Some do. Um, and again, I'm reminded of someone who came to my my home not too long ago and asked, you know, in terms of moving in here, um, well, do they teach that critical race theory stuff? And I'm a very polite person if you ever meet me in person. Some of you will, you know, next week. Um, so I didn't just, you know, chase her off my lawn. And, you know, um, but I said, no. And I'm familiar with the curriculum of my daughter's school at the state of Pennsylvania, and it's not there. So you just ask yourself, you know, why do they do this? But I, I think of something that President Bill Clinton, former President Bill Clinton, said a couple of weeks ago, you know, when he was interviewed about, you know, something that happens during midterms and why is it that Republicans tend to show up more than Democrats? And he said, the former president said, Republicans do a great job of scaring the hell out of people. And that's exactly what that is. That's exactly what Marjorie Taylor Greene is doing. The other part that's really offensive, though, is this idea of gender mutilization, gender mutilation, which is really talking about about transgender folks. Yeah. And, and to put it down as this act that, that when I hear mutilation, by the way, I always think of female circumcision, which is a, a horrible practice you know, that, is, that is exists in other countries when you're trying to desensitize you know, a woman's anatomy uh, to remove the pleasure of sex. That's basically why you do it. Um, and to use language that's similar to that here, simply because a person, and I'm not appropriately familiar with the terminology, but like gender dysphoria. I think, or there's another term for it. Um, yet they're, they're wondering, they're just openly realizing that maybe the gender that they were at, at birth is not them. And that's okay. Why in the world do we put this in a matter of, well, we bring it down to surgery and we're talking about, you know, cutting off a penis or, you know, use adding a vagina. Like, how dare you? How dare you bring that into this conversation and to put it in such a fear mongering way? But it's not even a question of how dare you, because that's the playbook. That is absolutely the playbook for MAGA Republicans. You know, and, and for the moderator, and Mike, you bring up an interesting question about 
you know, what is you know, should a moderator just ask the question and keep you know the conversation going? I don't think so. As a moderator, I think it's your right to say no, that's factually incorrect. You know, when Herschel Walker's busting out a badge and saying, Hey, you know, I'm a cop too, it's like, no, you can put that party city prop away. That's not what this is. There's there's nothing, there's nothing substantive about Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a comic book, she's a cartoon character. And it, it it saddens me because here's another candidate like Val Demings, who's likely to lose to an absolute lunatic, you know, someone who represent who does not appropriately represent the Republican Party, maybe some really warped version that has been unleashed from the Tea Party and the Trump era. Um, but she doesn't republic. She doesn't represent the Republicans. I certainly know she doesn't represent the you know the ideals of a party that had you know members like Dwight Eisenhower. You know, and even Nixon wasn't like this. This is just an embarrassment. Yeah. You know, it was so funny as I was tr- as you were saying all of that, I'm trying to look up polling data around Marjorie Taylor Greene and and uh, Marcus Flowers' race and there isn't any because in that district is a whopping 55 percentage points more Republican than the country as a whole. This is according to 538's partisan lean metric, meaning that Marcus Flowers would have to swing a, almost 55, 50% of those Republicans at least to vote for him for that seat. She won the primary with only 95% of the precincts reporting as of like the last data that I saw. She won the, the, the primary by almost over 60,000 votes. So or over 50,000 votes, excuse me. So that race, again, like you said, lunatic versus just common sense and lunatic is winning out in that seat. We'll see how more midterm races play out next week in our live show in DC. We're going to get in depth with more on the midterm elections, more on the Biden administration, more on everything that's happening uh, in U.S. news and politics, especially things that are playing out in the world, like the coverage that we've seen in Iran. Check out our DC live show next week. You can come on down to City Tap House uh, between 5 to 8 p.m. If you're in the DC area, Thursday, October 27th, we'll see everybody there. When we come back after the break, my interview with Professor Xavier Perez of DePaul University. It's a fantastic listen. And we talk about voter issues specifically in the Latino community. Professor Perez, after the break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. 
KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. The presenting sponsor of Can We Please Talk is Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world. You know how much Nick and I drink coffee. We love it here. I'm a K-Cup guy. Nick's that French press guy over there. Uh, right, Nick? You're a French press guy. I am. But I've also used a, Ke- a Chemex. I've also used right. a percolator like most people do. Yeah, But regardless of your type of grind, Fresh Roasted Coffee's got you covered. In addition to single origin blends, Mike's a Colombia person. I'm a Sumatra drinker. They've also got a variety of flavors. You can also get sampler packs, too. I'm all about the sampler packs. But most importantly, let's say coffee is not your thing. If you're a tea person, mm-hmm. they got you covered too, That's Mike. Right. They cover all their bases. So go there and learn about your your learn about your coffee style. You go there to a three, four question quiz. You'll find out what coffee is recommended for you. So you're learning something in addition to buying something. But as a listener, there's an additional benefit for buying from Fresh Roast Coffee. Look at this man. This man sets up the softball. I hit it out of the park. It is true. Um, if you take that questionnaire that's on their site, it's awesome. And it gets you right into the flavor profile that, that matches you best with the coffee that you should be buying. But you want to enter a promo code at checkout. Put all that stuff into the cart there. Enter in the promo to- promo code, excuse me, can we get 20? Can we get 20? This offer is valid for new fresh roasted coffee and positively tea customers. You're going to get 20% discount on any and all coffee and tea unless otherwise specified code is not valid for branded merchandise or coffee gear one use per customer head to freshroastedcoffee.com today i'm here with dr javier perez he's a criminology professor over at DePaul university he joins me here on the can we please talk podcast dr perez mike leon good to meet you my friend it's a pleasure thank yeah. you for having me on absolutely uh dr perez you know i reached out to you we we're talking about this off air about the Latino vote and the docu series that we're potentially shooting as part of LMN. But I wanted to ask you a little bit more broadly in terms of some of your areas of expertise, criminology we're going to get into, policing. I know you've written some articles about it, have been published. First, for our audience that's not familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, what made you want to get into criminology? Well, um, uh, I grew up in Chicago. So growing up in Chicago, you get to sort of experience the criminal justice system pretty uh, firsthand. And so I would say that my uh, experiences with law enforcement, with the courts, uh, were really representative of like mass incarceration. And so um, friends and family members who were involved in the criminal justice system just kind of made me want to be involved in some capacity, uh, studying crime and finding solutions, alternative solutions to some of the ways in which we punish. Uh, We're a very retributive society. So um, I explore ways in which we could uh, maybe humanize the criminal legal system. That is very well said. Uh, I, I feel a lot of that as, as growing up in the Bronx, New York, and kind of seeing the way things have played out with family members of mine in the criminal justice system there in New York. Um, I want to get to a bunch of different things just off of that. Follow up on that, because uh, you wrote about police behavior and, and community relations. When we talk about policing overall, what are some of the issues with policing? Like why, to your overall point, you, you mentioned about the criminal justice system and the way it's played out. Can you give our people a 30,000 foot overview as to why policing is the way it is right now across the US? I would look at two sort of perspectives. I would look, one is, is the policing profession, and then I would look at their relationship with communities, particularly communities of color. 
So when I think about the profession, I think about um, it's almost an unrealistic expectation of police officers by the public. I don't think that the public is aware of how stressful that job is and to the extent to which police officers commit suicide, the extent to which police officers uh, engage in alcoholism and domestic abuse. So I think there needs to be this sort of understanding and, and reckoning with, with the sort of pressures that police departments are face in many of these communities that are underserved, underfunded. They become the front line against many of society's ills. Uh, and instead of addressing those ills, we naively and maybe in some sense short-sightedly expect the police to solve those problems. When it comes to community, so that's a different conversation, right. I, I think um, historically we've used law enforcement as a tool of power against certain communities. Um, and so in those ways, I, I think about policing as a, a force that socially controls certain groups and and polices the social boundaries of, of certain groups. And so they become the first line of that sort of war. When we speak about the war of uh, war on drugs and the war on poverty, we always seem to have these wars that we fail. Right. Um, the police become those sort of first, like the first foot, like the soldiers out there who are fighting that war. And many of those, in many of those instances, I would say that those wars and policies were not implemented by police, right? They were implemented by politicians of the time period. Right. And so the police are now, again, forced to deal with those issues. Um, and it's just a long-standing history. I mean, you think about like the early origins of policing, whether they are to control the class urban unrest of the 1800s or whether they are the slave patrols of the South. The history of policing in American society is particularly problematic. I want to follow up on that because there's there's just so much there. And you, I, I was telling you this off air, we talked about a piece that aired back in 2021 that you were a part of with a bunch of other DePaul professors talking about, you know, this post-George Floyd world and the, the whole messaging around defund the police. And you, meant, you mentioned something, I like divert funds from the police, right? Like in a functioning society, and I'm paraphrasing what you said, but in a functioning society, you know, we wouldn't ask this much of police departments, et cetera. Um, defund the police has become such a buzz phrase, and we're going to get into political messaging and how it's kind of playing out with immigration, with respect to other things. But you hear defund the police, your first reaction is? In some ways, I don't know. I, I feel like it's... If we're going to talk about abolition of police, then let's talk about abolition. If we're talking about diverting um, financial resources, then let's do that. I feel like defunding the police doesn't fully capture either of those. It's almost like the middle of the road that doesn't really capture both of the sentiments. Right. I would, uh, I, in referring to that article, what I was arguing was that when you look at middle class communities, the police and the criminal justice system are not the major source of funding in those communities. You have, if you have problems, you have other community resources that deal with it. If you have some sort of issues within the school, it's the school that has resources to deal with it. I've, if we're gonna look at how society should look like, ideally the criminal justice system should be a very small part of it. The rest of the social services, mental health, homeless, and some of the other concerns that we have, the police were never equipped to deal right. with those uh, issues. I think as a society, um, unfortunately, what we've done is we've turned our back against 
marginalized working class communities of color. And in place, instead of answering those sort of calls for help, we've provided them with the criminal justice system as the only solution. So what I am particularly critical about is that when we think about how do we solve crime in society, we can't think about anything else other than policing and the criminal justice system because mm -hmm. we've never been given the other options. Right, right. So we, we just lack the creative imagination right. to think about other solutions to punishment or to crime in our society but punishment. Right. Um, let me ask you, uh, I was going to save this for the end, but you kind of wandered into it. If, if a politician... Uh, let's say tomorrow reaches out to you and says, hey, I you know, heard you on the Can We Please Talk podcast. Shout out to them for listening to it. Um, or I read something that you wrote about, and I want to message to the public, similar to what you're saying right now, it's not about defunding. It's about you know diverting funds, investing in other programs that help people with mental health issues and things like that, holding police officers accountable. What, what are some um, ways that you would message to them of how they should message to the public? I think we would look at, I think fundamentally we want the same things. We want to reduce crime and make society a safer place. I think there are different ways to achieve that. And what the last 40 plus years of the war on crime and tough on crime policies have just been an utter failure. I mean, when you look at the crime rates in, in comparison to other Western societies, particularly when you look at incarceration rates, we incarcerate more people than any of the Western societies. And so the fundamental question I think we need to ask is, how do we arrive at that place of safety in different approaches? Because what we've tried, um, and I often hear that as a, as a sort of a comment, like we need to be tougher on crime, we need to right. lock up people. And I was asked to what extent we incarcerate more than any of the, our, our sort of colleagues, the Western societies, and we still have far more greater uh, crime rates than they do. So I just feel like that message, uh, I understand where it surfaced in the 70s and 80s, but today, we just, some 40 plus years, we understand that that message did not solve crime. Right. And in many ways, only made situations worse because we've decimated communities of color through the criminal justice system. Well, let's get into communities of color. Perfect transition there uh, because you know, I, what are you, by the way, nationality-wise? I'm um, uh, Ecuadorian. Ecuadorian, okay. So I'm half Puerto Rican, half Cuban. The Latino vote is something that is, you know, of great importance to me, obviously to you as well. When you hear the Latino vote and you see programming that this is about the Latino vote, uh, what are some things that come up for you feelings or emotion-wise as people try to capture what the Latino vote encompasses without understanding how multi-layered it is? So I think of a couple of things, right? The first thing I think about is almost a commodification, mm -hmm. right? So I think about um, in ways how can maybe marketers tap into that market right. um, to gain some sort of economic advantage. The same thing that you can make the argument for politicians, that politicians are looking to capture the Latino vote to kind of um, win some elections. I think what maybe, I don't mean to be too cynical in this, but the question is I feel they fall short is how do we address the structural issues that are present in those communities? Right. How do we address the nuances of those communities? We understand that, for example, uh, as you mentioned, Puerto Rico has a very different experience than does Cuba, as has, which has a very different experience than Mexico and Venezuela. So 
there's the sort of like all the groups are sort of homogenized in some way like we fall under one broad umbrella of Latinos uh, but the we have to recognize that each one of us has a different history different experience of why we migrated to the US and that has to be recognized as well you know um I'm going to ask you a few more questions on on the Latino vote specifically, but I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up. I remember you were you wrote something or you were featured in a piece relating to the way Latinos are portrayed in media. We did some focus group research a while back, asking Latinos a similar question. When you see, you know, a Latino character or a, or a Latinx character on television, are they portrayed accurately? Are they not portrayed accurately? You wrote something similar about if you notice the crime shows, a lot of the folks that are portrayed as committing the crimes are blacks and Hispanics, right? Uh, can you kind of expand on that, the way Latinos are actually portrayed in media and, and how the characterization is, is wrong? Right, so um, actually I teach a crime films class in which we oh. speak about this at, at length. I think, you know, these are the popular images that just reinforce stereotypes. And unfortunately, these are the popular images that sell so um, when we think about films, when we think about TV shows, particularly news coverage, it depicts Latinos in a very negative way. Not to suggest that crime isn't present there, crime is certainly present in, in the community, but crime is just a very small part right. of, of the Latinx experience. There's uh, certainly other areas that have a lot more significance than just crime. And so I always, when, when we think about the portrayal of, of Latinx groups is very narrow and, and in many ways it, it reinforces very stereotypical notions about family, about honor, about violence, um, about sort of traditional versus modern. Those have been around for decades and so I think the pro one thing what that particularly concerns me is that when we have this negative portrayal of, of Latinx groups, when you come into court or when they come into the criminal justice system, then they're working against the stereotype, right? And so that, unfortunately, is something that continues to persist today. You know, you are feeding up into these follow-ups perfectly. Uh, I don't know if it's on purpose or for Jordan and Pippin here in Chicago. Um, Latinx, boy, that term, I don't know. There's something about it, um, but I want the expert opinion on this. The, the term Latinx, can you explain that terminology? Because in the focus group research I've done with folks under a certain age, I've gotten a lot of, I've never heard of that term. What is that term? And then you see polling data around Latinx and it polls pretty high where people don't want to use that term to be bottled in, right? They'd rather Latino or Latina or even Hispanic, Hispanic right. Um, can you kind of explain that terminology and where Latinx kind of came from? Okay, so Latinx is really just a term that's supposed to not be gender binary. Right. So when we think about Latino and Latina, which is the term that I grew up when, when I was young, they're very much the binaries of gender, both male and female, and you're supposed to have all the characteristics of what it means right. to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And so then the X kind of does away with the gender binary. Um, you're familiar that in Spanish, you could have 500 women in, in a room, right. and you put in one male in there, and all of a sudden, yeah. it becomes yeah. a male sort of term, right? Correct. And so there's this deliberate attempt to try to break down from the gender binaries. Um, I find that a small population, a small percentage of the population uh, identify as Latinx. Um, there's still a lot of growth. 
and a lot of ways to maybe for us. We to hate educate. growing. <laughs> to educate yeah. people. Um, I find that when we speak about immigrants, they identify as Hispanic. Right. Because to them, it's part of the assimilation process in America. You know, they probably think about maybe this is their home now, so they want to be American. Immigrants want to be American, you know. Right. And so that it's not surprising that when we poll immigrants, particularly undocumented immigrants, that, yeah, right, they've never heard of Latinx. They probably never heard of Latino or Latina. They've been accustomed their whole life to hearing Hispanic. Boy, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm Alex Caruso, and you're Zach Levine, slamming it down. <laughs> These follow-ups are perfect because you just mentioned migrants, immigration. It's a huge topic right now. In our last episode, we've been examining the midterms and a lot of the debates that are happening now, whether it be in Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania is getting set for one with Dr. Oz and, and then John Fetterman, uh, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock are, are getting set to have a debate. Everything is around immigration and migrants. I mentioned to you off air, I live in Florida and I see a lot of ads with Governor DeSantis and a woman who's talking about crime that happened to her family based on somebody that came here illegally. Can you dispel some of these notions in terms of migrant crimes overall? Are migrant crimes at an alarming rate or based on data that you're seeing? Can you talk about holistically, you know, the kind of tropes that, that is negative in these ads about the way migrants are committing crimes at these alarming rates that maybe the numbers just don't bear that out? I think that's a great question and it's a great opportunity for us to challenge those myths about immigration and crime. I would, the first place I would look at is um, all the evidence suggests that foreign-born populations have a lower crime rate than native-born populations. That would be the first place I would, I would have us to look at. I think it's important, uh, when, when I look at immigration and crime, I look at the positives of immigrants. And in many ways, immigrants, when they arrive in cities, they come to work. And so they bring the ethic of work with them. In many ways, immigrants, as they're following these networks throughout uh, America, traveling from one end of the country to the other, they're stimulating those social networks and those informal social controls. What we find is that, and this is what the evidence suggests, is that when immigrants move into communities, they actually, by stimulating those informal social controls, and you know, you think about all of the ways in which immigrants work, that they actually decrease crime. I would suggest the complete opposite to that. If you want to deal with crime, if you want to reduce crime in the community, introduce immigrants, because immigrants have revitalized the economy and they continue to do so. Uh, it's fun, we're at a, at a Catholic institution. Immigrants mm -hmm. have saved the Catholic tradition in American society, sure. right? So there's just, you could go on and on um, in areas outside of my expertise in which immigrants continue to um, just energize America. So I would say, the concerns regarding immigration and crime are nothing new. We've had these concerns from the past. There's always going to be somebody who commits crime in any community, in any class level. For us to isolate those small instances and make those representative of everyone, then that's just not accurate, and it's misleading. Um, what you find is that, immigrants, that crime does occur in immigrant communities, but it's considerably lower than it does in native-born groups. And then when I think about it, too, is like when we think about crime, um, it, it's very concerning that when you have crime and immigration connected, because when we think about criminals, these drug lords, these uh, smugglers, human smugglers that 
that bring people into the into the country, those are criminals, right? So if we're going to talk about crime, then let's separate those individuals. Right. The people that come here to work, to add to the American social fabric, the ones that want to be American, the ones that are learning English, the ones that are raising their children here to be American, the ones who are fighting for this country abroad in its wars, right. they are sacrificing. You know, so those individuals, I think we need to treat differently and embrace them as Americans. But I would certainly um, address the individuals that are transporting drugs, human smuggling, that's a different group. And those are the ones that we should isolate and, and treat as, you know, as, as the, the crimes that they've committed. But the other group I would definitely uh, treat differently. If somebody's watching this and they say, boy, that guy's, that guy's bright, what, what books is he reading to learn uh, not only about community policing and, and crime, criminology, which is your study. What are some books that you have read that you would recommend to people if they want to research some of this stuff? Well, you know, the, the sort of crimmigration is the topic. So I would look, I, I would I encourage people to just kind of do a, a Google search of crimmigration because that, that is the discussion that we've seen since the 80s of the nexus of immigration law and criminal justice. Right. Immigration law is a federal crime in which the criminal justice system in men at, at the state and local level just have no business working together. And so what the federal government has done over the last uh, 40 plus years is incentivize local municipalities to go after immigrants. And so when we see this war on drugs particularly impact the African American community, alongside we've seen this war against immigration and us become more punitive. In the past, it was just unconscionable to think that we were the poor people. It was unconscionable to think that we would separate a father from his family while he waited for the hearing to play itself out. You know, in the, in the past, we did have, if somebody committed a crime, certainly there were efforts to deport that individual. But if it was a minor crime, then they weren't, they, this idea of just exporting people out and and, and kind of expelling them from America was just not the American tradition. That is only a more recent phenomenon. Right. Well, Dr. Perez, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, my friend. Uh, DePaul.edu, if you want to register for one of uh, Professor Perez's classes here. I can't thank you enough for hopping on the program today. Continued success to you. Stay safe and, and a pleasure meeting you. Thank you for your time. Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. My thank yous to Professor Xavier Perez. Go check out DePaul.edu if you're fortunate enough to sign up for one of his classes. I think I mentioned in the interview, too. He's, he's fantastic to listen to. This guy has done a bunch of different articles about the way you know race is covered and the way Latinos are covered in the media and stuff like that. So if you are a DePaul University student, you're fortunate to hear from him. My thank yous to him. Uh, Nick, before we sign off here, uh, Can We Please Talk podcast, you can check out video of it on YouTube channel. Type in Can We Please Talk podcast. Watch all the video interviews like one we just did with Professor Perez on our YouTube channel, audio podcast platforms. You know them by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. 
Shout out to the folks that listen to us on Good Pods. Shout out to ACAST, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program. If you write in good, bad, or indifferent, if you've got anything on the midterm madness that we've been covering here and all the races and stuff like that, can we please talk podcast at gmail.com? Shoot us a note and we'll see everybody next week in DC. As always, I'm Mike Leon. Proud of the work of this show. Proud of everything that we're doing in Leon Media Network. Proud of my amazing colleague who um and we'll celebrate him further you know obviously next week uh but thank you to all of you and and to those seriously to the kanye west's and the marjorie taylor greens of this world um you won't win in the end i'm nick Saveri. we'll see everybody next time Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.